Georgia's DBHDD reminds people that the Good Samaritan Law can save lives during alcohol and drug overdoses. People are urged to call 911 and stay until help arrives. More information at opioidresponse.info. Thank you so much for joining us for another edition of Political Rewind. I'm Bill Nygut, and of course, as always, I'm very glad to have you here. Um, For the last couple of days, we've been talking about electoral politics. We've really been talking about the uh, extraordinary developments in which uh, David Perdue is going to run against Brian Kemp. We've talked about Stacey Abrams launching her campaign. And uh, the election is on the minds of just about anybody who's interested in politics right now. And and, uh, today, we are going to turn our attention to rural Georgia and the issues that confront the people who live across this state outside, particularly of metro Atlanta. But I think it's important to point out that many of the issues we'll talk about today are issues that will, in fact, come into play and be discussed by candidates as they run their 2022 uh, races. So with that, let's get right to it. Um, Kevin Riley is my partner on Thursdays, the editor, the boss of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Kevin, it's great to have you here. I want to point out, Kevin, that with exception of you and I, all of our panelists are coming to us today from parts of rural Georgia. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a great panel. I'm really looking forward to the show. And you're right, Bill. Uh, these issues have big political implications, the way that, in particular, the governor, uh, the governor's race is playing yeah, out. Yeah. Um, Charlie Hazlett is uh, with us. Charlie Hazlett is, I think, unparalleled when it comes to crunching numbers and giving us a picture of what's happening in so many aspects of life in rural Georgia. He does that with his blog, Trouble in God's Country, which I highly recommend to all of you who are interested in knowing what's happening in rural Georgia. And Charlie, it's very good to have you with us today. Thanks for joining us. And you're joining us from Oconee County. I am. Appreciate the chance to be here and appreciate the kind words. Absolutely. Uh, Representative Debbie Buckner is here as well. Debbie Buckner represents the 137th House District. Debbie, you're down there in Junction City, right? Correct. Junction City has a population of, what, a couple hundred people? (laughs) That's true for the city proper, but the county itself is about 6,800, and that's Talbot County. So it's one of the older counties in the state. Okay, so we should point out for people, you, let's see, some of your towns, you have Talbot, Merriweather counties. You're you're right along the, um, the fault line down there, and you're not far from Columbus, right? Right. Actually, I represent East Columbus, and uh, my district does follow the fall line, and I have uh, Meriwether, Harris, Talbot, and Muskogee County. Yeah, you know, Debbie, you'll know this. Uh, political people call it, don't call it the fall line. We call it the Nat line. because yes. it's If you're a... below the fall line, you, you um, have more Nats than you do if you're above it. And I am just slightly above it, so I am pleased to not have to deal with and, and, and the reason I mention it in terms of politicians is that back in the uh, days of the old timers, they used to talk about when they campaigned down in South Georgia, they had to figure out how to give their speeches and blow gnats at the same time. Yeah, you could tell if it was a native Georgian or not, how they handled that situation. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're really glad that you could be with us as well, Debbie. And uh, very happy to be joined by uh, Kevin Dolison. Kevin, you are a fourth-generation farmer. Um, you're the, uh, you have a, a farm in Poulin, 
Georgia, a couple hundred acres, I believe, you raise uh, 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 livestock, and your specialty is Warrior Creek premium meats. You're known for that. Tell me more about yourself and about your farm, Kevin. Okay, I mean, um, Ricky. First, Ricky. First, that's right. I don't first know why. Is, yeah. is, my name is Ricky, yeah. Ricky Dollison, fourth generation farmer. <clears throat> my grandfather came into Poland in 1949, and my father brought it up to where I took over several years ago. My father's gone now. <clears throat> so I am one of two uh, minority farmers in Worth County. When I say minority farm, I'm talking about row crop and livestock. Um, so I had to find out a way how I was going to do these hogs because I had a bunch of hogs. <laughs> hogs was cheap. So um, I took a beating at a stockyard one day. And when I, on my way back home, and I told myself, I'm not taking hogs back to that stockyard again. And so I turned them into sausages and... God blessed us. We are in about 11 grocery stores in the South Georgia area, and we're working hard. We're trying to figure out a way to get into the metro Atlanta area. We're looking for opportunities there. Well, we look so, forward to hearing your perspective on <laughs> issues in South Georgia as a, a farmer down that way. Uh, so thank you so much for being here. Uh, Charlie, let me let me start with you, if I might. Um, and And before I do, you know, there's, there are so many ways in which your blog, over a period of time, has painted some rather distressing pictures of life in rural Georgia. And, and everything you talk about is correct, and we'll get into it in some depth. But it does feel to me, Charlie, like we ought to start by saying there are a lot of people who love living in rural parts of our state. They're, they live in beautiful communities. Um, they uh, have found that they prefer it to the craziness of a metro area like um, Atlanta. So we, we don't want to create the impression that life is uh, awful for the people in rural Georgia. But that does not mean, Charlie, they're not facing some daunting problems, right? Uh, well, I think that's right. And I'm, I'm one of those people who enjoys living in rural Georgia. Um, it's very pleasant. I have, I spent my working life in Atlanta and Atlanta was very good to me, but, um, I'm, I'm, I, I do not miss the traffic, um, or, uh, the, the, the frantic pace there. It's, it's, it's nice now that I've, I've moved into retirement to, to not have to travel around I-285, uh, that much anymore. So, you know, I, I, share um, the affection for rural Georgia. And in my working days, both as a reporter a long time ago and as a public relations practitioner, did a lot of work in rural Georgia. And you're right. There are a lot of areas that are that are very pretty and, and, and comfortable and that ought to be um, uh, attractive communities for people to move to and businesses and all of that. Um, let me take just a minute and talk talk about how I got into this. It it was really, I started working on Trouble in God's Country roughly a decade ago um, as an outgrowth of some research um, um, my public relations firm did uh, for a client that was um, uh, aimed at at developing a message around the, the relationship between community health and economic vitality at a local level. And the 
the research that we did frankly surprised me. I knew generally what to expect, but the it it, it put a spotlight on the, the 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 chasm then between Metro Atlanta and the rest of the state and and among the various regions of the state as I came to to um, define them, uh, describe them. And as I um, as I edged into retirement, I just sort of kept gathering string, and um, uh, and and the the data, frankly, kept getting worse. I feel like I've been watching the divide widen uh, uh, almost in real time, and it's it is consequential because it doesn't just impact the people who live in rural Georgia; it impacts Metro Atlanta, rural. Um, Metro Atlanta will be stuck with a tab. It, it, it is Metro Atlanta subsidizes the rest of the state. Uh, that's just a, a fact. Um, uh, and rural Georgia's problems in healthcare, education, and a lot of other things will begin to uh, probably, arguably, are, are already beginning to wash up on Metro Atlanta's um, doorstep. So. It's it's a metro Atlanta problem as well as a rural Georgia problem. So so let's dig into some of that, uh, Debbie. C- certainly, I think uh, the issue that people are most aware of is uh, a healthcare uh, gap in rural Georgia. Closing rural hospitals, doctors not uh, practicing in that part of the state, and we'll get to that in a few minutes. But but I, if we could, I'd like to start with some of the things that Charlie has uncovered in his data uh, crunching that uh, people may not be as familiar with. So in his most recent post. Uh, Charlie looked at uh, figures from uh, uh, the government, which showed that there is, that rural Georgia, here's his headline, rural Georgia leads race to the bottom in per capita income. And he points out that Georgia is home to 10 of the bottom 30 counties nationally in terms of income. But there are many more counties which are struggling as well. So talk to us about that from your point of view, just the economic issues that uh, much of uh, that, that part of the state, the rural parts of the state face. Well, what I've seen in my area is a lot of the, the businesses that we have had have moved um, either back up north, literally. We've had a, a pretty high-tech company that was in Meriwether County that went back to upstate New York. We also... Um, I was real interested in that article talking about college degrees being so much, there were so many people that were not going, it appeared were not going to college or not getting college degrees. And I can remember growing up, you know, you got to go to college. A college degree is incredibly important. That's, that's the way to pave your way to a job. But a lot of times now, if you want to live in the rural part of the state, a a degree from a university doesn't pave the way to a good job anymore. Um, It's great to have education, and I think people still value it, but the way to connect education and a job really is more through our technical colleges, because a welder or a plumber or an electrician can make more money than a teacher or um, some of the other jobs that are are, um, the result of a university degree. So I think there's a lot being re in the in the rural areas about you know what kind of education do we want to encourage our children to do and we have seen a lot if you ride through uh, the state of Georgia 
from the coast to here and go through all the small towns and you see boarded up buildings in the downtowns. You see highways have come through the downtowns and there's no front door parking anymore and there's nothing to park in front of. Um, and, and that's been going on for a while. And I think broadband and Internet service, I agree wholeheartedly with what you said. That's important. That will help keep some jobs or bring some jobs to rural Georgia, but that is not going to be the other issue. Uh, Healthcare um, is one of them. Uh, Ricky, give us a sense of the community around you and in terms of what you see. You've done pretty well uh, on your farm. Um but I assume that you have neighbors out there who are struggling much uh, more economically. Yes, sir. Um, my parents taught us to work hard and, um, and, 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 and then step out. We, we kind of do things different from a lot of other people, um, i.e. the sausage and the, and, the, and the beef and other specialty crops that we do. We're starting now doing elderberry. We had elderberry last year, very small amounts of trees, but we're always looking two or three years ahead. <clears throat> um, one thing I do want to say, and, and I'm, I believe it's, a lot of this is a mindset, and we're not willing to change. I, I see, and I hear you with, the, with talking about the jobs. In my area, I'm in southwest Georgia, Tifton, Albany, mm-hmm. Moultrie, um, and you hear all the time, people don't want to work. People don't want to work. That's not a problem. Me, Ricky Dawson, people are, are, are pay. They want to pay me seven dollars and fifty cents an hour to do work. But somebody else can. The the the, I don't know how to put it. But other people can come in and do work, and they're mandatory to pay these people twelve dollars an hour. Well, the people. People want to get paid to do a, de- a decent amount of work. For They want to get paid a decent salary for for the work that they do. <clears throat> and so we have a, a – we want to pay certain people one price, and we want to pay other people another price. We've got to figure out – you just want a good – you just want a good job, a good work done, pay a decent price for it. And I see that all the time. I see it all the time. And that's what makes people don't want to work. That's what makes <clears throat> we need labor here. We just need labor. But if if my if H two A workers get three and four dollars an hour more than me, it creates an animosity. It creates division, and that's what happens. That is happening. So uh, thank you for that, Charlie. Uh, jump in on it. You you did the research on uh, the income gap, but Debbie already uh, referred to it. You also did a, a really a good piece on the uh, educational attainment gap and that between rural and urban Georgia. So just give us a little picture of both of those uh, 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 pieces that you created, and then Kevin Raleigh, I want to get you in here. Um, well, to to start with the edu- with education and the and that education gap, and Representative Buckner is 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 right. In a lot of rural counties, probably most of rural Georgia, um, a college education is is more than you can use or find a job for. That wasn't always the case. In 1970, there were fewer than a half million college graduates in the state of Georgia 
and more than half of them lived outside metro Atlanta. Today, it's a, there are about 2.1, 2.2 million college grads in the state, and roughly two-thirds of them live in metro Atlanta. The even more troubling aspect of that where um, uh, where uh, high, higher-paying jobs and leadership jobs and those sorts of things are concerned is that is that rural Georgia has lost ground in terms of sending kids to college. Uh, this is one of the what I call an aftershock to the Great Recession. Um, uh, it, up until 2008 or 2009, um, rural Georgia was still sending more kids to university system colleges than Metro Atlanta was. Those lines crossed, uh, I think, in 2010, and and Metro Atlanta has since continued to send more kids to college. And that that educational advantage turns into an earning advantage. Um, uh, that earning disparity impacts everything from an ability to, um, to access and pay for health care uh, to um, lifespan and, and a lot of other factors. So, you know, I, I, I don't want to, to denigrate in any way, um, a rural community or somebody who who has a, a technical degree as opposed to a college degree, but that disparity matters in terms of earning power. It matters in terms of, of brain drain from communities, and it matters in terms of um, uh, taxes generated and tax basis. You've got something like 30 plus counties across the the gut of South Georgia that in 2018 did not generate enough in federal taxes, federal income taxes, to cover the federal share of Medicaid and SNAP benefits. Wow. Um, and and there were a lot of others that were on the bubble. I would I would like to be able to do that analysis using Georgia data but the transparency-minded deep thinkers at the Department of Revenue just stopped reporting that data about a decade ago. Kevin, let me get you so, in here. Uh, let me let me uh, quickly, too, remind people, uh, we've made reference to Charlie's blog. It's called Trouble in God's Country. That's his blog. Did so I not say that? I, I don't know. I just make sure listeners, uh, <laughs> uh, it's, a, it's a great thank read. You. So, thank yeah. you. <laughs> uh, thank you, Charlie. The check is in the mail. <laughs> um but but for you, uh, Representative Buckner, do do you feel like in the legislature these things are understood that the differences between life and opportunity, I guess you you would call it in Metro Atlanta and rural Georgia. I mean, I've sometimes heard people refer to it. There's at Georgia, there's Atlanta, and not Atlanta, and, and and that chasm. Do you think that that the politicians get this? I think some do, and there's two points I want to make. One, because we were concerned that there were people under the gold dome that didn't understand the difference, a number of years ago a rural caucus was established, and it is a caucus of Democrats, Republicans, the House, and the Senate, and we meet every Wednesday and we talk about issues that affect rural Georgia. And if a representative or a senator has any piece of a district that has a rural part of Georgia, they are allowed to be a member of the caucus. And we did that 
when we first started noticing that the population of Metro was going to get to a point that it would outnumber the rest of the state. And um, I've been involved with it from the beginning. It's one of my more favorite caucuses because everything we talk about there, it, it resonates with back home. Um, but to your point, I have people don't realize when I go to the Capitol, I generally have to leave on Sunday evening and go to Atlanta and spend the entire week there. I can't. I don't usually have time in a legislative day to drive from Atlanta home and then back up. Most of the people in metro Atlanta, some of the people who have not served very long especially, had no idea that there were people from Tata, Georgia, or um, Bainbridge, Georgia, that actually have to leave their homes. And some people don't go home over the weekend. If they've got meetings on late Friday afternoon and got to be back at 8 o'clock on Monday, They'll end up staying the whole weekend in Atlanta because it's a five, six, seven-hour drive home. So there is a disconnect of what it means to even serve as a rural legislator to some of the metro legislators. There's a disconnect when they when um, when I say I'm going to call on the landline because I'm not I don't feel comfortable that a cell phone won't cut out on me. They have no, um. Not to belabor the point, but this was really funny to me in a way after the fact. But we have a um, an expense Hey, Debbie, we are having a problem hearing you right now. We're going to try to tr- see if we can clear up that line a little bit. Uh-oh. I'm sorry. Is that better? Yes. Oh, okay. Ah, see? <laughs> Technology. Um, and one of the issues that we had is um, when I sent in, because I had a bunch <laughs> of long within my district to call from one end of my district to the other is still long distance. Mm. And they said, well, why don't you use your cell phone? And I said, because they can't hear me on a cell phone if I call them. I have to call them on a landline. And the fiscal office did not understand that there were still landlines and that that was a justifiable expense for me to get recouped because it wasn't a personal call. Well, just following up on that, I mean, the rural caucus that you mentioned, I mean, as you head into this legislative session, which is really just weeks away, I mean, did you have things at the top of your list that you feel like the caucus is going to push or perhaps get done this year? Because given this governor's race, rural Georgia will get a lot of attention, will it not? It should. It should, because I I think that there are a lot of votes out there for them to consider. Um, I know that the Rural Caucus has spent a great deal of time learning about the broadband issue. We have also talked about um, things like small cell and um, satellite and whether or not it's worth the investment of doing the broadband when other opportunities are down the line. We've also talked about disparities in public education. And, of course, health care has been a huge, almost, debate within the system. Some of us believe that we, we should have expanded Medicaid, for example, to keep our rural hospitals open. Some do not believe in doing that. Um, my, my stance is, in light of what has happened with COVID, we have got, as a state, to be a planning state. And, and, and when I say that, we need to be looking at do we, and this includes public and private, do we have a sustainable health care payment system in the state of Georgia? And right now, I feel the answer is no. 
And I think that is a big indicator of whether or not we'll remain number one place to do business because you can't have a business if you can't have healthy workers. Well, let me let me take let me drill down a little on some of the issues we're talking about. So, Ricky, for as an example, um, you're running a business out of your uh, a farm. Do you have broadband internet access in your area? Um, what issues do you have trying to get online and do any of your business online? Do you have to find workarounds from being online? How does that affect you as a businessman farmer? Well, it's it's tough on me to have a store in the country. So um, when we do when we do um, stuff in the cities, uh, I can charge. I can I can do credit cards and and SNAP benefits, but it's hard to do it at the farm because it'll just sit there and um, the little blue dot just go round and round. It'll, it'll, it'll just, it's hard for me to make money in the country. It's just hard. And I am um, always have to be in a metro city, or Albany, or Tifton, or Valdosta, so that I can, so that I can uh, make money. And so you've got to be able to take cars now. You've got to be 90% of my, my, money is is coming from some type of card so and um i like that because i don't have to worry about cash for security reasons but when i'm out in the country in rural small areas like Ms. bogdan said tie tie i'm i I can't i can't sell like that and um it's really rough on me charlie uh before we have to take a break um broadband has been a subject of a lot of conversation at the legislature and the legislature is investing money in broadband so is the federal government in terms of the covid relief bills they've been putting through but you've written that uh, we should be cautious about seeing broadband as a fix-all uh, yeah i mean and to to echo and build on what representative buckner said uh, and and Mr. Dawson, um, uh, it, it, all the all all the internet access in the in, in the world is not going to take place of shuttered businesses and closed hospitals and those sorts of things. Um, uh, broadband cost forty five uh, fiber optic landline costs forty five hundred to five thousand dollars per rooftop to deploy or. On average, forty to fifty thousand dollars per mile, and in some cases more. In some areas, that might make sense. Uh, the LJ Telephone Company got a, a grant a year or so ago, uh, and they are um, uh, and they're spending seventy-five thousand dollars a mile to deploy uh, fiber up there. That probably makes sense because it's growing. And they've got a, a, an increasing, a, a, a growing work-at-home community and retirement community. Uh, I'm not sure uh, that you've got enough time or money to wire South Georgia, everything from the fall line south. Um, it, by my calculations, it's about $2 billion. And in some of the, those areas, by the time you get it there, there may not be any people left. Um, satellite technology, and I'm coming to you on a, a satellite internet connection. Um, uh, that is, it's not full gig service from the, like I had in Decatur, but it's adequate, and it doesn't require the public investment, and and you can get it tomorrow. All right. So, uh, uh, 
Finish that. I'll I'm sorry, there. Charlie. No, finish that sentence. I apologize for interrupting. No, that's okay. okay. I, I just if 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 time is of the essence uh, to get internet access out to areas of rural Georgia, I, I'm glad to hear that the legislature is considering options other than landline um, broadband. I, I think a mix makes more sense, um, and and I, I applaud that. Thank you, Charlie Hazlett. we got to get to our first break of the show. We'll be back with more on the issues facing the people of rural Georgia after these messages. Welcome back to Political Rewind. We're going to continue our conversation now about the issues that people in rural Georgia, uh, much of the state really, are facing. Representative Debbie Buckner uh, is with us, Ricky Dawson, who uh, operates uh, a farm uh, down uh, in the basically the Albany area and is known for his sausages, Warrior Creek Premium Meats. Kevin Riley is here with me and Charlie Hazlett who's the author of Trouble in God's Country, is also here. Hey, quick, very quickly, Charlie, I said at the very beginning of the show, you and I are old-timers, and I remember back in the day when, in fact, we used to talk a lot about the two Georges. Politicians talked about it. But I said at the beginning of the show, that phrase went out of favor, and I think because it felt so discouraging and so divisive, right? (laughs) Well, I, yeah, I think that's probably true. My, it's it's um, uh, I I think credit for the the term probably goes to um, Jimmy Gray Jr., who was the son of James Gray and the publisher of the Albany Herald. He came to Atlanta in the, in the mid '80s and made a made a speech to the Atlanta Rotary Club about the two Georges. And uh, and it, uh, I think it got a good bit of coverage, and it sort of triggered that debate. Um, uh, but you're right; the political community did not like that. Um, uh, Governor Harris um, uh, was, is based on what I've found, was was loath to want to talk about that for the reason that you cite. Yeah. Um, and I, and I think the same was true with Governor Miller. Now, by the time you got to to, to Governor Barnes, they passed the the One Georgia Authority yep. uh, Act, which which explicitly recognized the divide between urban and between Metro Atlanta and the rest of the state, and and set that up to fund initi- initiatives in in uh, throughout the rural part of the state. But yeah, it was it was an unpopular term, um, and and frankly. Um, I wonder if we might have made more progress if we had acknowledged it earlier. Well, that's exactly, Kevin, that was my point. You you mentioned, you asked Representative Buckner how legislators reacted to the concerns of rural Georgia. And it may seem trivial to talk about it. We used to say the two Georges and stopped, but it's not because it's a mindset that says, you know, that, that leaders in the state have to be thinking about what rural Georgia is dealing with. Yeah, and you just wonder if it's uh, playing out slightly differently because, of course, when, when you talk about it that way, you think Metro Atlanta and everywhere else. But, for example, to go back to the uh, broadband question, um, it, you know, in cities, even smaller cities, it makes sense, right? Because, the uh, right, Representative Buckner, I'm sure that as you've studied this in the legislature, it's really an economics problem, as Charlie's pointed out, which is – 
Hey, if you're a, a cable, or a, an internet provider, and you can wire a neighborhood of a thousand homes, that's two square miles. That makes great economic sense. You're going to make money doing that. But if you got to go somewhere in Georgia where the homes are two miles apart, you're, you can't make that work, right? I mean, it's just not economically feasible. And then some of these other solutions, whether it's satellite or wireless, I mean, wireless doesn't work well in mountainous wooded areas, for example, right? So the two Georgias could be the connected Georgia oh. and the disconnected Georgia, right, Representative Buckner? Well, that's true. And in a way, um, I've thought about this because I've felt many times that there are two Georgias. It's Atlanta and the rest of the state. But um, the, but what we, it's, if we think of ourselves in a more positive light, like a family, and you have more than one child, then they all have, each child has different needs, different likes, and different attributes. And and if we looked at it more like that, maybe it would be more positive and be more <laughs> constructive toward us moving forward. We have now, in, in a lot of the conversations that are going on, people talking about small towns and cities, hub cities, and the big cities, which really metro is the big city in the state. So our hub cities are like Savannah and Albany and Columbus and Macon. They have problems with Internet in some pockets of their communities or around their cities. Um, but, yes, you're right. If we, it is connected versus the unconnected, I've likened it to the um, rural electric corporations that were put, corporations that were put in place. Um, the rest of Georgia was dark while Atlanta had light. Um, it was near, I mean, it wasn't in. There was not electricity right here where I am in Junction City until 1948. That's not that long ago. So, so uh, go ahead. Now I was just going to say, so the connected versus non-connected is still a, an issue. Yeah, I think that was a great way to put the two Georges right now, Kevin Riley. Um, Ricky, let me turn back to you for a minute on something. Um, let's talk about uh, the farm community across the state. Uh, and, and I'd like to ask you about it from two perspectives. Uh, number one, uh, the Hurricane Michael uh, and, and other extreme weather events have had a really devastating impact on many farmers across South Georgia. Um, the state has taken some action to try to uh, uh, get funding to you uh, to help with the problems. But let's extend that to also say, regardless of weather events, um, African-American farmers, as a result of kind of a historic discrimination um, in terms of loan repayments and subsidies, USDA has struggled to figure out a way to, to help compensate for that. And, and, and we know that um, one of the COVID relief bills was actually earmarking $4 billion specifically for African-American farmers. And um, that money has been held up because a group of white farmers, I think in Minnesota, although somebody can correct me if I'm wrong, have filed suit saying it's discriminatory and they're trying to stop it from coming through. So take all that and go with it the way you uh, want to, Ricky. Okay. Um, Bill, I, I, I understand what you're saying, but I, a lot of that, I don't know how to put it because that's, that's the thing that's happened. A lot of times we discuss some um, political, we discuss political stuff and it's taken out of character or what I may have a, I should have a better word for it. But anyway, 
um, when the pig for lawsuit was finalized and then this here come about, it it a lot of a lot of African American farmers wouldn't get in USDA loans anyway. So then it was created, so then it come with micro loans. So the first with micro loans, the first one was thirty thousand. A couple of years later they increased it to fifty. So small black farmers or African American farmers wasn't getting a whole lot of loans anyway. So now they're talking about forgiving loans, four billion dollars worth. It might be out there, but in my area, what I'm saying, I'm just saying in the in the South Georgia area, black farmers wasn't getting loans anyway. So <clears throat> that lawsuit, it it I don't know the it did whether it came about or not. I don't have any money to repay back, so that don't that don't hurt me anyway. I need to look at other areas and getting capital. It's hard for me to get capital uh, because there's always something in the application that um, it, that um, causes problems. And, uh, you know, some of it might be on me because I do not. I got one rule. That rule was issued before me. We don't put the land up. I put crops up. I'll put equipment up. But there's so many things can happen that I don't have control over. I'm still paying debt now that Hurricane Michael created. Hurricane Michael wiped me out. It it wiped me out. There's a virus came through. I called UGA and Fort Valley. I still don't have no answers. Nobody still came out. My That virus wiped out my whole herd. So I had to start all over. And so... It's it's um one thing that I wish um USDA would do is talk to the farmer. Don't talk to groups, don't talk to other people, talk to the farmer. Nobody knows my needs better than me. Each farmer has a different um I need different things. There's other things. My 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 and, and I do must I must say this, I rely on my neighbors. All my neighbors don't look like me, but I need them. They need me. We rely on each other and we make it work. So <clears throat> I don't like to just throw, throw a, 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 a broad statement out there because I got some good guys, some good neighbors here that helps me. They, they, I, Warrior Creek Premium Meats and Dollarson Farms would not be what it is if it wasn't for my, all of my other neighbors that don't necessarily look like me. So, Ricky, I don't know how hard this question would be to answer, but let me ask it, um, and I may ask the other panelists too, but if you could wave a magic wand as a farmer in South Georgia and, and pick one thing to just make it better, fix it, what would it be? Well, the, okay, me, all right. <clears throat> we talk about one Georgia. If Georgia people would buy, would buy Georgia ag first, Look at me first. I got a, I got a doing good product, ladies and gentlemen. A doing good product, good healthy product. Look at me first. Give me an opportunity first. That would help. Don't look at all the other stuff that come. Look at your grow, your vegetable growers, your pecan growers, your meat growers. Look at us first. I shouldn't be begging the USDA to do right, and got Metro Atlanta of I don't know how many millions of people. I should be. I should be. 
I should be out of sausages and, and ribs and pork chops and beef all the time. I should I should never have no 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 nothing in the coolers and freezers left. Because of Metro Atlanta, Augusta, Savannah, Columbus, Macon, Athens. But no. Georgia first. I'm not saying don't look at other states, but Georgia first. But we, we buy from all over the place. And no, I can't compete with Walmart. I can't but if I can make wave that magic wand, buy Georgia farmer first. So, uh, Charlie Hazlett, uh, uh, when you look at data uh, uh, about farm, uh, the farms of, of Georgia, what kind of picture emerges for you? I mean, are the, you know, R- Ricky suggests that maybe one simple answer is we should all be buying products from that are grown in the state. That makes complete sense. Uh, but we also have mega farms in this state that overshadow the smaller farmers like uh, Ricky and others. I mean, what does your data tell you about uh, what picture does it paint of farmers? Uh, the, the honest truth is that I'm, 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 I've been slow getting into the agricultural side of it. I'm working on that now. Um, but I'm, uh, I'm, I, I, I don't have a complete enough picture to give you a good answer. Uh, I, I was the question I wanted to ask Ricky is how much can you scale up? Um, you talk about wanting to penetrate the Atlanta market and other markets. What would it take for you? How much excess capacity do you have now? And what would it take for you to scale up to serve stores in Metro Atlanta or or, or Columbus or Macon or wherever? I'm curious about that. Okay, with that, <clears throat> okay, so it's kind of like Catch-22. All right, I'm scared <laughs> to – now I can get – I can – there's investors want to invest in me. Okay, the 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 USDA facility that we we harvest animals at, we need some we need some storage space. Okay, that can come if the need is there. I can get the store. I can we can bring in enlarge the facility, get the coolers, and but I got to have a need. The need drives my expansion. Uh, Ricky, I gotta I gotta interrupt because we're late to get to our final break of the show, and I want to continue the conversation as quickly as we can after that. So we'll be back with more in a moment. Debbie Buckner, the uh, health care gap in rural Georgia is pretty well known to most people in the state. Hospitals uh, closing, doctors who are not living in communities of rural Georgia. You've already mentioned uh, briefly on this show that expansion of Medicaid statewide uh, to all Georgians who uh, could qualify for it would be one solution to that issue. I'm, I'm wondering what you see in that area, you know, whether there is going to be a push again from legislators to demand some action on Medicaid expansion. But beyond that, what is your rural caucus looking at trying to accomplish in the short term uh, rather than thinking about down the road? Well, we we are seeing some wonderful things come out of Mercer University. They have uh, done a great deal of work with rural health. They have a program where they actually have students from Georgia come to their medical school and hopefully go back to their home communities, which many times are in rural parts of our state. 
Um, there is a ribbon cutting next week in Columbus for a new medical school that Mercer is um, going to be the, our, our shining star, I feel like, in our area for helping the rural counties around us, which we have some of the poorest and have some with absolutely not even a doctor in residence in the county. Um, what I see is a need for us to look at joint ventures with public and private payors for health care. Um, we have in the state of Georgia Peach Care for Kids. It has worked for years. It is based on a sliding fee scale and the number of people in the family. So people have um, what a lot of people call skin in the game, if you will. They are paying for it based on their ability to pay, and they get preventative care, and um, it has worked. It has worked. It does use Medicaid dollars. What I'm thinking is between 18 when they age out of peach care and 65 when they go into Medicare, there, there is a gap, and that gap includes some of our finest, some of our people who have served in the military do not have great medical care. Uh, policemen uh, in some of the small communities don't have either very good, they're underinsured or don't have health insurance at all. So uh, some kind of plan that is a, a health care payment plan we would ensure that we have health care. All of these people that are graduating from medical school have got a big bill to pay when they get out. And they have got to work somewhere where they can make money to pay back for their education and to live on. So they can't come to rural areas and pay back their school loans and live unless we set up some kind of sustainable payment system. Kevin? Uh, Representative Buckner, I don't want to get you to say something that you may not want to say, but it sounds like... Medicaid expansion a little bit, which has been, uh, you know, uh, an issue in Georgia for some time. And, and certainly the governor and most of the state's leaders have been absolutely adamant about not doing that. So um, where is the rural caucus on that? Uh, and are, is that what you're suggesting or something close to it? I'm suggesting that there are federal dollars available that we've left on the table we may not be able to ever call it Medicaid expansion because that's such a dirty word in this state, or two dirty words. But we are using Medicaid dollars now, and if we could figure out a way to use it and if we could do a collaborative effort with our private providers, because there are areas in the state of Georgia where there are no health care services or health care payer systems at all. I live in a county where there's not a resident doctor. We have a public health department, but that's it. So um, it, it's sort of in, in uh, along the same lines, Charlie. When I look back at some of the uh, pieces you've written fairly recently, at, at the end of September, you wrote a piece that I thought was really chilling, the headline of which was gauging the gap between Metro Atlanta and the rest of the state on premature death rates. And what you found is that people are dying too young in uh, rural parts of the state more than in metro Atlanta. Yes? Oh, that's absolutely the case and has been for a long time. That's, uh, and, and, and that there's a direct link between that and the, and the educational levels and the earning levels and all those sorts of things. Um, uh, and the AJC recently had a, an excellent piece that found that the COVID death rate uh, in rural Georgia was double 
what it was in Metro Atlanta. I had done similar pieces looking at it through a, a political lens. And and that's, you know, I talk about the aftershocks from the Great Recession. That's one of the aftershocks from COVID. Yeah. And it's going to ripple for a decade. Let me add one thing to what Representative Buckner just said about access to care in rural Georgia. Um, I, there are beautiful small towns all across Georgia that ought to be great retirement communities. But you've got to fix health care first. Um, and until that, there's no hope. So I will, I will stop there. Um, we're running out of time uh, for today's show. But, Ricky, um, Sarah Callis just uh, said to me in my ear that uh, there are people – it appears, it appears that you've done your job in promoting your brand today, Ricky, because we've been getting <laughs> messages <laughs> on social media from people who want to know where they can get Warrior Creek Premium Meats. <laughs> okay, you go to the um, Facebook, Instagram, our webpage, um, Um Warrior Creek Premium Meats, um, Facebook Warrior Creeks Premium Meats and Dollison Farms, okay, and now uh, you just you just Google Ricky Dollison or Dollison Farms. <laughs> I will get it. We'll get it. <laughs> we'll we get we, it. we will. And, yeah, go ahead. And I do want to say, Dollison Farms just don't do for us. We help a lot of small farmers from 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 the Alabama line to the to the to the ocean. So we help a lot of farmers, well, and we buy from them. Well, you are a great brand representative, Ricky Dollars. Thank you. <laughs> Charlie Thank Hazlett, you. Uh, we're just, go ahead. You uh, want to say a quick thing? We're almost out of time, Charlie. Well, just quickly, you've, you've keyed a, a good bit of this off that last piece I did. Um, not to, to shamelessly plug what I'm doing, but I wanted to mention I've got a follow-up that I'll probably post today. Can you tell um, what's it going to be about? Uh, it'll build on what I had in that last one and take a look at what's happened to per capita income over the last half century in That's Georgia. Trouble in God's country. I feel out of step because I haven't plugged the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, Bill. <laughs> oh, you, we plug it every day on this show. So, <laughs> Ricky Dollison. Ricky, yes, you did. Ricky Dollison, uh, Representative Debbie Buckner, Charlie Hazlett, Trouble in God's country. Thank you so much. All of you for being here. Kevin Riley, as usual, a pleasure to have you here on the Thursday Political Rewind. Uh, a special thanks to Sam Burmes Dawes, who produced uh, today's episode. Uh, we appreciate your work on this show. Uh, we're back to talking about politics uh, more generally on Political Rewind tomorrow, and hope you'll all be with us for that show. In the meantime, I'm Bill Nygut. Take care. Please stay healthy. And if you have, if you've gotten your two shots, go get your booster now. This is the time to do it. See you all tomorrow.